This is the GameStreet.biz microcast. It is Monday, the 26th of February, 2024. I'm James Batchelor, Editor-in-Chief of GameStreet.biz, and joining me in the room Hello. is Chris Dring. Hi, yeah. Hello. Hello. It's nice to see you in person. It's, uh, I was going to say, I was expecting you to ask me how I was, because when we started doing this little beginning banter bit, yeah. well, you were supposed to ask me a question that was relevant to the last week. Then, but you've sort of descended into just how are you? Yeah, I have just descended into how are you. I don't need to ask you how you are, though, because we yes. spent at least two hours with each other. Um, interesting to be doing this like together, but uh, we're still going to be same old format for Microcast. We're going to be diving into the biggest stories of the past week. I say that it was actually quite a quiet week last week. Well, it was from a business perspective. I yeah. actually think it was quite busy. If you if we worked for Eurogamer, I suspect it was a busy week because there was a lot of games announced. There were there were a lot of game announcements. So we had um, we had the Nintendo Direct partner. Partner Direct, sorry, um, which was kind of finishing off the trilogy of like big console announcements. So we'd had the Xbox Developer Direct, we had the State of Play, you then inevitably had the week or so of when's the Nintendo Direct all over social media, and then it was a Partner Direct. First of all, interesting that it's a Partner Direct, no kind of first party titles, but then I guess we already know their H1 lineup, don't we? Well, it was a little bit of stars. Endless Ocean is a Nintendo game. That's right? true, yeah. <laughs> so it's Fair a Partner point. Direct, sort of. Um, but I think it actually speaks to what oddly what I said last week, which is about how um, there is an opportunity here for other developers, and this actually epitomises that Nintendo don't have a massive slate for H one. Mm. I don't think they do for H two either. Um, so that gives an opportunity to for other developers to be able to make a bit of noise. And Nintendo called it a partner direct. I suspect to set expectations, but there were some big games in there, yeah. bigish um, from partners, um, including popular games from Nintendo's past. So it was, um, I think. Um, yeah, it was an interesting one. I think, it's, as I say, it's a weird situation that we had a Nintendo Direct and there wasn't a big Megaton Nintendo announcement. No. But it was a, um, it was a um, Megaton that dates me, doesn't it? The, um, <laughs> but it's, uh, but it was a, um, it was a, uh, uh, a good one for for, for sort of other developers. There was, there was last year, do you remember? Nintendo announced Metroid Prime Remastered and mm. they launched it at the same time, and that sort of that shadow drop sort of had an impact upon anyone else that had including Nintendo I actually heard that Zelda pre-orders were slower than expected and Nintendo put that down to the amount of people that bought Metroid Prime Remastered yeah. and um, this time there wasn't anything like that and that creates an opportunity for everyone else to be able to actually get their game seen and heard so yeah it was interesting but I think we're at the, we are in the final year of a Nintendo console Nintendo's big developers are looking at their their next, they're looking at their next machine, aren't they? Yeah, so exactly. So Nintendo I, are going to have to make do with third-party partners, of which they have quite a few now compared yeah. to previous generations, and um, and obviously uh, smaller titles like the Princess Peach game and things like that. I say past Nintendo consoles, you'd you'd almost see like nine months, maybe even a year of little to no releases yeah. of note. Um, we're going back a bit. Yeah, we are way back a bit, but like you know, to, to come to the point now where yeah, there's still plenty of third-party releases on the way. I suspect H2 will be quieter. Certainly, from I highly doubt Nintendo's got anything planned for H2, particularly if that was planned for Switch 2, and yeah. that's been pushed into 2025. We have a Pokemon event this week. We do. And yes. I would, wouldn't be. You know, it's but past history suggests Pokemon tend to take a year out. Yep. And that was last year. Yeah. So that, and so um, uh, there should be a Pokemon game. I'm not expecting a brand new um, get entry in the mainline series, but perhaps no, a remaster or remake. You tend to get one. It would be, it would be a spin-off. Like the, 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 the cadence they kind of tend to be on is, so last year was the DLC year or yeah. the year off. The year before was the main generation year. The year before that was the remake year with Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl. Yeah. 
So this would be the spin-off year. So something like a Legends or something like a Let's Go or something different. Well, no, there would be a black and white remaster. You reckon? Yeah, because well, it might be a Legends, but a Legends actually launched alongside Dying Brilliant Dark. No, Sun, that's true. They yeah. came along and said, we're, being, we're getting into we, the weeds. We are a bit, in the weeds, yeah. But I would expect a Pokemon game. If there is a Pokemon game, then, then there's a chance Nintendo can sort of ride out um, this year with, yeah. uh, with something at Christmas anyway. Um, which is an interesting conversation, actually, whether Nintendo have got enough to sort of keep people interested yeah. for another year. You mentioned, obviously, like last year's um, Direct was overshadowed somewhat by the, the Metroid Prime Shadow Drop. There were still a bunch of Shadow Drops. Or at least, oh, it's a big like, thing. But it, I, I, yeah. interesting, I, it's been happening a while. I like to talk about it like it's a new trend, but it isn't. Nintendo Directs have a habit now of just launching, oh, by the way, here's a demo. Here's something yeah. else coming out this week. Here's five rare games in Nintendo Switch Online. Yeah. Here's the, um, uh, what's it, the uh, Penny's Big Breakaway. Pentiment's out the next day. Like, yeah. oh, I, I'm not exaggerating, but a large number of the stuff that was announced yesterday, uh, last week, came out, or at least it's coming out very, very soon. Yeah. Was, so, was pocket, pocket Card Jockey, like we're talking of Pokemon, like that's the Game Freak yeah, yeah. horse riding game. Like, was that a Shadow Drop or was it just the demo? I can't I, remember. I, now. I, it, it, yeah. it was, something is available now because it's on my Switch. So, yeah. yeah, there is, but, there is, there was. These these events are the, the gap between these events and games coming out. Yeah. Uh, Shadow Drops aren't new. Obviously, no. I mean, obviously, Hi Fi Rush was a big one last year for Xbox, but it is. Um, it does seem to become a bit of a thing now, and suddenly you go from, well, there's not much coming out of my Switch. Suddenly there's 10 things on the same day. Yeah. Um, and I say last year you had a big one which might have drowned out all the others, but this year it'll be interesting to see if a game like Penny's Big Breakaway might end up doing some big good numbers. Mm. I bought that game. I, I saw <laughs> it in the Direct. I thought, that looks fun. And then I bought it, and I probably wouldn't have done if they'd given me a two-week. Yeah. Uh, Dem- <laughs> Chris Dream demonstrating the power of the shadow drop. Yeah, it's so. just, oh, it's just all that. And you could get it right now. It's yeah. the... Um, it's the, it's the it's, a, it's an effective, effective model if you can pull it off. Skewing back to conversation we've been having on the microcast quite a lot is obviously um, the you mentioned Pentiment, you mentioned Hi-Fi Rush. Like we finally got confirmation this week of the pretty much confirmation of what we knew, like a you know, worst kept very, secret, etc. Pro- very protracted announcement. This very <laughs> protracted. I mean, essentially the the announcement cycle for Pentiment, Sea of Thieves, Grounded, and Hi-Fi Rush coming to other plot for, platforms started about a month ago yeah. with the rumours. Um, so, but we finally have confirmation. So, yeah, like um, Pentiment and uh, I believe it's Grounded are the ones coming to. Um, Switch, Sea of Thieves, and Hi-Fi Rush come to PlayStation 5 and, and PC. No, Sea of Thieves is already on PC. But, like, I've seen, like, tweets and stuff, like, over the week. Like, it's really weird to see, like, I think it was someone from Rare. It's like, it's really weird to see a Rare game and Sea of Thieves on a oh, PlayStation there is, store. There like, is, a, the N64 fanboy in me is furious. <laughs> like, I'm just, uh, I was, you know, uh, the, the just, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, back when I think back in the late 90s when basically the one thing N64 had going for it was Goldeneye and, uh, yeah, and yeah. some of those rare titles um, every every single time talking about Metal Gear Solid or Tomb Raider Resident Evil fan Nintendo would just point to the Goldeneye game um, and now here we are and here's the thing Sea of Thieves is an incredible game I will say this they're not they're not Microsoft's biggest titles right? they're no. not Starfield and they're not the ones that generate the biggest noise not Halo but they are some of their very best games mm. and Pentiment and Hi-Fi Rush are incredible, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 experiences. Grounded, um, I understand it's brilliant, not played it, but I understand it's very, very good. Sea of Thieves is one of my favourite games. and I think it's, it's incredibly original and unique, and it is weird to see it. And I actually think it has a chance to... If you don't get many shared world experiences on PlayStation. Now, PlayStation fans typically love story games. It's their big thing. But there's now an awful lot of story content in that game. When Sea of Thieves first launched on Xbox, it was a beautiful yeah. game. There wasn't much to do in it. Now the problem's the opposite. And yeah. I imagine if I'm the marketing team at Microsoft trying to work out how to promote this title, I wouldn't know where to begin. Do I go Pirates of the Caribbean? Do we go the Monkey Island stuff? Do we go the um, do we do this the share world ex- adventure element of it? It's, it's so such a brilliant, brilliant big, beautiful yeah. game. 
And in this market at the moment where there isn't a lot of blockbusters, mm. which is, and people say it's a negative thing, right? So we are, I've had people talk about, um, oh, there's, last year we had these big games like Zelda and Diablo and, and Hogwarts stuff. We don't really have many of those this year. And that's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing for everyone else. And um, Sea of Thieves could become a breakout here. I think any, that's the thing. None of these games that we saw announced last week were obviously going to be mega sellers. No. But there might be one. If you'd have told me two months ago Power World would be on 25 million players, I wouldn't even entertain that conversation, yeah. right? And it's, it's astonishing result for Power World. Helldivers, right? Mm. You know, Helldivers, I did a quick European analysis last week, so I, did, so I just thought I'd have a quick look at the weekly charts last week using the GSD data. Helldivers 2 sales were up 40% from one week to the next. Right, that's so rare to see a game it's, like increase sales. It, ha- it like, happens. Just Dance tends to do it. Yeah, but generally speaking, you don't get many games that do that. And here you had Hell Divers Two doing it. Um, and then actually, the physical chart just came out this morning, and the physical data says, suggests that Hell Divers Two is going to have a third week of growth. And I'd no idea what numbers it's on now—three, four, five million units. But it's a it's a big hit for PlayStation. This mm. a big hit for Sony. So um, it's. Um, would you? I want to put money. I wouldn't even. I would have said hell. I don't remember hell divers one. Yeah. I, it's, uh, so it, it is. It is, and that happens because there's no Hogwarts yeah. sucking the oxygen out of the market. When you see when a game like that launches, it's not just um, the media is only writing about that game because of course they are someone that drives the traffic. But everyone's talking about it. Everyone's yeah. playing that one game. But when everyone's not playing that one game, it mm. creates an opportunity for everyone else. And I think uh, if you're a indie dev. Um, launching a game this year, or even just a, even if you're a AAA dev but an independent one, like Immortals of Avium last year, we got a piece going up this week about that game. Yeah. And that um, game was a flop last year, really disappointing. Decent title, from what I understand, but just came out on Baldur's Gate 3 window. Mm. And there isn't a Baldur's Gate 3 window uh, no. this, 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 at the moment in this, in this calendar, yeah, this calendar year. So there's a wonderful opportunity, I think, for those games that we saw last week. And, and, and CFE, I, I'd love CFEs to. It's already been quite I, a hit. I think it's five million players. I'm surprised. I, I've been surprised at how well CFE has done because you're right. It's an amazing game. It's a really good game. But I've been surprised how well it's done, given that it's not kind of when it first came out. It wasn't a straight pitch of we had this whole conversation years ago of like what sort of game is it. It's a pirate game. It's yeah, like, well, that's what Craig Duncan at Rare said. Yeah. When I asked him what type of game it was, he went, "It's a pirate game." Yeah, that's, is that a genre? Is that a genre? It feels exactly. like a theme. <laughs> like, and I, I thought, you know, this is going to do fairly well. But the fact that it's still going, the fact that it's really expanded, the fact that it's got the huge community, and that's with the limitations of being on Xbox, which has the smaller user base. I think it's on it, PC. I think a lot, of its, a lot of its players are on PC. It does Absolutely. turn up in the in the in the PC charts from time to time. But to put this on the PlayStation 5, which is the market-leading console this generation, like to be that much larger audience, there is a real chance for this to have a full-blown second wind. And that goes for all the titles that Microsoft are bringing over to PlayStation 5. Like I think the, it, would be, it would be really cool to see this do well. Yeah, it's also really original. I, I think it's a sort of... You don't get many games like this. Yeah. There's no vertical progression, which might, might hinder it a little bit, and it's, it's very much horizontal progression as an online service game. But it, it's... Um, I really rate it, and I think more people should discover it. Um, and I love the, I love, hope the idea of it, it, it. I love the idea of it doing well, simply because it's a game that um, it just shows. If you commission something this weird, yeah, because it is weird, right? Yeah. One of the funny, one of the things, one of the things you can do in the game is drink a load of booze and throw up on each other. Right? <laughs> it is, it is funny, and it's, it's very rare. Yeah, you know. For, um, so. Um, I, I I'm I'm excited to see it actually happen. I'm, I'm I've got the game and I've played it to death. I'm not going to I'm not getting it again. Yeah. But I um I, I'll keep playing it. But um it's quite um, exciting. 
I'm kind of intrigued. Like, I'd, I'd love to know the reaction at um, Ubisoft and Ubisoft Singapore. Obviously, been working for years and years on Skull and Bones, confident that there aren't really many other pirate games out there on other platforms. And then here's this really popular pirate game coming over to the leading platform less than a month after it's finally launched. Yeah, Skull and Bones. Skull and Bones' launch seems relative. Again, I was looking at the numbers last week and. Um, its its launch sales are about twenty four percent lower than what Sea of Thieves did right. um, when it launched, um, and Sea of Thieves also in Game Pass day and date. Uh, yeah. It's the first game to do it. Um, uh, it was yeah, really, yes, yeah. I remember. So um, interestingly, it's a bit of a pioneer, really. This <laughs> that game for Xbox, but yeah, I'm not not just Sea of Thieves loving. I do love the game, um, but um, it's um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't really know what the true expectations are for Skull and, uh, Skull and Bones. I know Eve Guillermo called it a quadruple A IP, which means yeah. it, it suggests he has very high expectations for it, but. They must know that that game's um, the momentum behind that game. There's a lot of doubt around it. Yeah, you can't have a game in that in, in development for that long without there being some skepticism. And then, yeah, I don't, yeah. Um, but no, you're like, overall, overall, like kind of sentiment that's going around at the moment is this is this is potentially a year. 2024 is the year where so many other games can shine that wouldn't have, that would have struggled in 2023. And that's good for the industry. It is. It's brilliant for the industry. Like it's kind of. As great as it was to see all these blockbusters last year, they were almost all like really well-known properties. I think we've said this before. Like, they, you know, they're all established IP. I mean, Hogwarts, Starfield wasn't. Yeah. Starfield wasn't, but Starfield Starfield was a new IP, but coming from a, a very studio. established studio with a very established formula. It is essentially you know Fallout or Elder Scrolls in space. Like people knew what to expect. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this year, you know, as you said, like as you said already, like Power World, something completely different. Hell Divers. But the first I, one I, didn't make a, a, a big impact like this. It's good to see. It raises confidence for me for things like, um, you know, Dragon's Dogma 2 is one of those, like, the original Dragon's Dogma is one of those cult hits that yeah. everyone's insists is amazing but didn't sell, didn't set the charts on fire, etc. And it's one of those ones where, you know, the publisher's finally given a chance to for a sequel to come out. And had it re- been released in a busier time, that sequel would have struggled and therefore... The kind of the pent up anticipation for it wouldn't have played out because people would have bought more established games rather than that. Dragon's Dogma Two stands to do well, I think. Like well, yeah. I, I, also, it's really tough out there. There's a lot of competition. I, yeah. There's a lot. We just mentioned Skull and Bones has come out in a time when Helldivers is doing the numbers right. It's not a guarantee. It's just a, it, there is a, if you create something that can catch on and um, there's now more room to do it because you're not being necessarily muscled out by these mega launches. Yeah. But obviously, it's still competitive. Um, and I think interestingly, Endless Ocean, which is like Endless Ocean, I think it's called. Endless Ocean, yeah. It's a it's a, a lovely game. I remember from the Wii. Uh, it's a really lovely game, but it's not one that you would necessarily. But you know, who knows? It's got yeah. it's got social connectivity this time. It's sort of a cozy game. Those are quite uh, popular at the minute, and you never know. It could become a maybe. It's a sleeper switch hit. When while, while we're talking like potential Wii games that could make a comeback, I was quietly pleased to see De- Disney's Epic Mickey yes. um, rebrushed the remaster. Because I remember playing that game. It was a really interesting take on Mickey Mouse. And obviously the original was only ever exclusive to Wii. The same, the sequel came out on all platforms. So there was you know, 360 PS3, that generation. Um, didn't do particularly well. And I think, it, I think it was just before kind of Disney pulling out of video games entirely. So it's really kind of cool to see that one get a second yeah. shot. Monkey Ball's back. Like Monkey Ball's back. I love that. But it's very, very... I actually... You never know. But I actually... No. If, I'm, if I'm being honest, I didn't think too much of what... I didn't see anything that was going to light a fire under Switch sales um, no. between now and. But even then, like the, for 
for as you say, for this, this late in a console life cycle, and particularly for a Nintendo console life cycle, because we've never been this late in a console life cycle. In a, ha- like, in a home console. In a home console, you know, granted that. But like, it, it looked like a solid lineup. It looked like a solid lineup of there's still enough things coming that Switch owners have got stuff to buy. In addition to the first party stuff we know, like um, Princess Peach Showtime is coming out 22nd of March. You've got Luigi's Mansion 2 HD is on the way. Um, Paper Mario. There's another Paper, yeah, yeah. Paper Mario Thirty Thousand Year Door. Like there's still there's still stu- some stuff on the way. So it's 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 going to be intriguing to see. I cannot wait to kind of December see which games have actually taken off the most this year because I think we're in for a year of surprise hits, hopefully. But the thing is, the sad thing is, and I'm going to help segue into, I'm sure, your next subject is. Thank you. We <laughs> might not know which games are the biggest this year. No. Um, because, you know, we talk about Helldivers 2's in the charts because it's a PlayStation game, and Sony share figures with, uh, with, with the, sa- the charts companies. But Power World, I know they're sharing the numbers of us. It's very great, very nice of them to keep us updated on how well that game is selling, and I guess when it's selling that much, they're happy to tell us. But... Um, they don't share the data, no. and a lot of these smaller developers, these smaller publishers, they're not in the in the charts system because the chart system, for those that don't know, um, uh, when it comes to physical retail, the retailers themselves share the market data. So this is how many units of games we sold. When it comes to digital sales, um, Steam, Xbox Live, PSN, they don't share their figures. You have to get go directly to the publishers to share those figures. So, obviously, they go to the publishers that release a lot of games. So, Activision's, EA's, Ubisoft, yeah. you know, they, the Sega's. They share their figures with the charts companies. But that means games where perhaps only where developers only releases one game, like CD Projekt or yeah. um, or Larian or someone like that, or, or, or even, Remedy. Even, even like yeah, the amount of self-published studios out there, yeah. like self-published games, self-published indie games, like they just have not got a chance of being yeah, included I mean. in the hearts, like, like charts, like regardless of how well they're doing, like. It's rare for a self-published indie game to do to sell well enough to get to the point where it's up there with these established hits. But it does happen occasionally, yeah, well, happens, and we don't know. It happens because, almost every year. Like, yeah. you know, Dave the Diver would have been in the charts last yeah. year. Baldur's Gate 3 would have been in the charts last year. But Alan Wake 2, probably a little bit lower down, but would have been in there somewhere. Yeah. And um, and they're not in. They weren't in last year's charts because they're not. They don't share data with the charts company. So when we get to the end of the year, we might be doing a, here's the best-selling games of the year. But there will be uh, probably half a dozen, including Power World, that yeah. won't be in that chart. So we saw a prime example of this um, last week with um, Sakana, formerly MPD, released the January charts. Um, and, yeah, they, they quite openly said, and I don't remember a, I don't remember a former Sakana or MPD report that specifically said, we did not include this title because. Like, there's the usual, the general, like, kind of the, the little asterisk in the top-selling titles, like, you know, Nintendo doesn't share data, like, certain yeah. ones, you know, this only counts. But they actually made a point of specifically saying, we do not include Power well, because when, we don't have the data. It's when you know that the number one game that month isn't the one that's number one in your chart, yeah. right? And and that is, that's when that's when you kind of have to say, look, everyone's going to ask, you know, when we did the, when we did the annual charts and Baldur's Gate 3 wasn't in it, and it yeah. was like, where would Baldur's Gate 3 come? I don't know. We don't know. Um, exactly. It would definitely be in the top 10 somewhere. But it's, I don't know where. It's so misre- misrepresentative, and that's not the fault of Sakana. That's the fault of um, the, you know, the publishing the stores and the industry not sharing its data. But you know, case in point, January, top-selling title last month in the US, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. That's a very kind of predictable January number one. Yeah. But that won't necessarily have been number one because it depends on how well Powerwell did. Like, it depends on... What I, will, what I will say to defend this, right, is that you can't... When the UK charts, so it used to be called Chart Track, and before that was called Gallup, mm. when they started in the UK, they only covered twenty. They, they only did. They, they, they were the physical retail charts, a little bit easier, but only a handful of physical retailers shared their data. 
Um, but we published the charts anyway. We as an industry published the charts anyway. And eventually it caused other retailers to go, um, uh, we want to put our data in, we want to put our data in. And now it's got to the point where 95% of the retail market in the UK is covered yeah. by GFK, which is, they bought chart track, chart track will gallop, blah, blah, blah. Right. So we now, that's what happens. I'm, I'm, this data doesn't have power in it, but every other piece of data is interesting. Yeah. It is informative. It does tell you about what's going on in the games market broadly. Well, yeah, I guess it, it shows that Tekken 8, Tekken 8 came out and... It tells you how Tekken 8 did. Yeah, Tekken 8 was number two, didn't manage to top Modern Warfare 3. Suicide Squad killed the Justice League, that was number three. Persona 3 Reload, that was number four. Like like a Dragon the Infinite Wealth, number seven. So there were new games... And if you subscribe to these data, these, these yeah. systems, they have the actual figures, and you can see how well... You know, we on the European charts, we do percentages, rises, and decreases, and stuff like that, so we can sort of go, hey, this game did 10% better than that game. I can do things like Helldivers yeah. 2 was 40% bigger in week two, and that kind of stuff, where you get a good sense of where momentum's going, even if you don't know the exact sales figures. Yeah. And... That is still useful. It's still important. I, I, you know, and it, depending on who, where, who you are in the games industry, it's important. It's useful. Does it tell you how many games are sold in a year? No. No. Does it tell you which is definitely the best-selling games of the year? No, but it tells you a version of it. And I hope that if they keep doing these charts, eventually someone's going to get fed yeah. up and go, we need to do something and actually make it so the stores are share, sharing the data so yeah. that we can... And maybe that will never happen, but I'd love to get to a point where that <laughs> I was going to say, how many years have you been hoping for this? Uh, literally, the first time I wrote a story was Digital Charts Coming. It was Dorian Block at GFK, and it was one of the, one of the first stories I ever wrote, and I've been in since 17 years. <laughs> um, so, it, but yeah, it, it's... it's um, it's been going on a long while. But we do have a digital chart now. These we do have a digital. Yeah. Um, this and, is true. And we are, and the thing is, it should be revenue. You know, DLC is not included. Microtransactions aren't included. You're right. You know, when you start, you really, in an ideal scenario, you have a units chart, which is selling what the most popular games are, and yeah. a revenue chart, which, you know, Exacanda does revenue, GST does units, and the and the revenue can include things like downloadable content. And, and But then revenue is an interesting one, because obviously, like, and, you know, there's going to be exceptions here, but... The vast majority of like you know AAA full price games are still sixty to seventy dollars. You will occasionally get like budget or indie releases that which are much less. If those games sell more than and that's just a kind of chart. That's a yeah. revenue chart, and it, it, that's the reason why both is interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know you don't want one or the other. You re, ideally you'd want you'd want to you want to say hey what, what are people playing? It's this game. It's Fortnite, yeah. right? <laughs> and then it's like what what games are um, you know they just kind of do like an engagement chart thing as well, um, and then you go okay what what's, which one's generating the money, which one's generating the um, the revenue, and um, uh, that is um, I think that's that's that'll be really useful. We're nowhere near that point. No, we have actually been sitting in this point for a, quite a while now, which is this sort of publishers submitting digital data and sort of physical data and what it means is people keep guessing and I it's the thing in movies not only do you have how much money things made how many people came through the door you even got the budgets of these I was going to say yeah and, and, like. and I know it's the idea it's competitive information that's not shared but this is how we as an industry get bigger and better and more successful when we start seeing you know the amount of times that we react to trends but if you can actually properly look at full market yeah. and see where things are and opportunities are and it can have such a benefic- benefit to not just yourself, but the whole industry. There's no shame in failure. No. And there's, you know, we, we, we try stuff, it doesn't work out, you know, that, that happens, and then hopefully you learn from it and you make something successful yeah. afterwards. There's no shame in failure, and, like, that failure is perhaps less shameful, depending on the circumstances, if you give the context. Like, if you, like as you say, if you, if you share the budget of what something is, like, you know, so your Immortals of Avium... Um, Interview comes, uh, you know, follows kind of um, a member of the team kind of brand, ranting about what the budget was or what they believe the budget was and what they believe the marketing budget was, and it puts it in context. We've, you know, similar note, um, Suicide Squad killed the Justice League. Obviously, you, 
we know that's been in development for years. We've got now Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers does not go into detail about its game's financial results. It, it, it mashes it all into its just general entertainment portfolio. They've said during the uh, earnings call that the game has fallen short of expectations, that they're in for a tough year yeah. comparison due to Hogwarts Legacy doing so well the year before. But beyond those snippets of sound, like those sound bites, expectations we don't... are key. Yeah. Expectations is key. But I think I just, but generally speaking, I think we need to sort of recalibrate our idea of what failure is. Mm. Because the Wii U was a failure, right? But without the Wii U, we never got the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. And so you just have to think, you know, that's how we, we make mistakes. We try things, they don't work out. We learn, we develop, we try something new. And rather than vilify, you know, I'm, I'm always a bit like, I know there's a lot of people being laid off and there's horrible things going on right now. And, and it's, uh, people get angry with the management for the decisions they made during different periods. And I'm not trying to calm that stuff down. But I'm always a little bit anxious to overly condemn people who tried stuff that didn't work out and I and so I think you know I really want the industry to keep sharing charts I, it's been we launched a campaign at MCV if you remember when yeah. I used to work at MCV we did in the campaign called Digital Counts which was a big old campaign to try and get people to share digital market data which sort of worked <laughs> um, and so I've always been on this beat for a while so yeah Sakana doesn't share it doesn't have all the data GSD doesn't have all the data but it has some some and, data yeah and I'd much rather have some than none on that note, I think we should uh, wrap up there, largely because uh, we haven't actually got a clock in here, so I don't know how long we've been going. I don't know how micro this microcast is. A megacast. But thank you very much for joining me in the room. Yeah, this has been lovely. good. Yeah, um, I like the white background. The white background it's is really lovely, dynamic. Yes. Sort of just sparks, isn't it? Is that, yeah. <laughs> um, you can find all the slightly less professionally produced uh, microcasts <laughs> on um, on our YouTube channel or on the podcasting platform of your choice and you can as always get news insight and analysis into the world behind video games at, video games at gamesindustry.biz we can be back next Monday perhaps not in the same room probably not in the same room but we will be back mm. <laughs> see you later <laughs>